Talk to me about how we are supposed to pray. Or talk to me about how you pray for people who are in difficult circumstances. Talk to me about how you pray for people who are in difficult circumstances. Anyone? Talk to me. Somebody. Cindy, back row. Yep. Find God in the circumstances and find peace that he can give. Who else? How else do you pray for people who are in difficult circumstances? Yes. Give them the strength to get through it. All right, good, good. Who else? Over here? Yeah, Jeremy? Um, pray that, some, that God will send them somebody who understands what they're going through and can help them through it. Give them someone to walk through the circumstance with them. Exactly, all right. Now then, let me, let's turn that coin around a little bit. And let me ask you this. We've walked with each other in this room through difficult circumstances, haven't we? Um, Whether it's been loss of a loved one, whether it's been disease, whether uh, just financial hard times and stuff like that. If you have gone through hard times, a difficult time, how did you want to be prayed for? Think about that. How did you want to be prayed for? Anybody? Scott, if you don't say something, I'll call on you. Anybody? Bruce? Good, good. So Bruce said that when Nathan was in the car accident last year, that just felt that people prayed for them to have strength. And just like Joshua and Moses, you know, where people literally held up his arms and that that's how he felt with the prayer of others. Anybody else? I thought I saw Kevin. Are you pointing down here or are you pointing to yourself? Great. Right. So just praying, praying for faith, to believe that there's a sovereign God who's working a plan in your life. Exactly, yeah. Laura? Wisdom and peace. Which goes to faith, too. Yeah, they're, they're kind of intertwined a lot, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. I see Bob and Rich. Bob? Right. So Bob, in, in, in the illnesses that, and the problems that Nancy's had with her health, he's just saying, like, praying for the physicians to be, have wisdom and have insight and to be able to diagnose and treat correctly and well. Absolutely. Amidst all the questions you might have. A com- just a thought about that is that I have often found that I go to a doctor, or I feel like when I listen to you guys go to a doctor, I think, they're a doctor. They should have an answer. It's funny that I expect a doctor to have an answer, and I'm really disappointed when he doesn't. But I don't go to God expecting him to have an answer. Isn't that interesting? At least I'm that way. Maybe I'm the only one person in this room who's like that. I'm not sure. Rich, for protection. Right, for praying for protection of the circumstances. And, and you, you've had those situations too, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Great. His will, not mine. Very good, yep. And Dave? Yeah. Yeah, so you, you start the process and then asking God to take over and finish the process. Exactly. Really good. All right. So I'll be honest with you sometimes. When I'm praying for people, when I'm trying to lead us in prayer here on Sunday mornings often, and I'm trying to pray for someone who is in a difficult circumstance, I, I get a little sometimes hesitant to pray what I sometimes think I should. Because I think that in my flesh... 
I want the prayer to be fix it, let's be done with it, let's move on. And I think that a lot of us are that way, at, at least at some part of our experience. But the thing that I believe that we see in Scripture, and I think that the thing that really gets to the heart of what God is doing in circumstances, is not to say, Lord, get me through this. It's really more of a prayer that says, Lord, have your will in this person's life. Fix that. For instance, we've prayed for people with relationship issues where there's been a loved one who's really resisted the grace of God. And it's been like, pray for them. You say, Lord, like save that person. And yet, honestly, there are times when that person who's resisting grace, part of the process is the people around them who are loving them and what God is doing in their life. For those of us who are in disease, it's like, you know, we pray for healing, but we know that God often does so many things in the context of that. And, and it's scary to pray that way. And especially when I am not the one going through that circumstance, it seems presumptuous to pray that way sometimes. But I want us to look at the way that Paul prayed. And, um, you know, one pastor said this, the most powerful people I've ever met in my life are little old ladies. Not all little old ladies, just particular kind. They're often widows, sometimes housebound, but always genuine Christians. In my experience, they are more influential than schools full of teachers, make more impact on sports stars, and wield more real power than any number of politicians. They have a secret weapon that makes them especially unlikely shapers of the world. That is prayer. Perhaps it's because they're physically unable to do the things that keep most so busy, or perhaps they have more time to spare. More likely, it, it is because they have discovered over a lifetime what it is to really change things. Whatever the reason, some of the world's greatest prayer warriors are little old ladies. Well, there's another category of prayer warriors also, and that's prisoners. I have two friends. One just recently got out of prison and talked to him about what his prison experience was like. And in and, and the cases I've talked to them about, they would talk about being in the Word and being in prayer. There's a story that I came across in, in our study time and studying for this, the story of Pastor Bob Few, F.U. I came across an interview with him on Voice of the Martyrs. Bob Few lives in exile from China. He was born in China. He was a part of the Communist Party. Um, and he, but he came to a place in time where he came to know Christ. He came here to the States. Eventually, he got out. And the reason he got out was because his wife became pregnant with an illegal baby. It was an unapproved pregnancy by the state government. And so they sought to get out to save the baby. So they came here. They got here to the States. They actually came here to Philadelphia. And he attended school here at Westminster. And he became, and eventually, he ended up in Midland, Texas. I've been to Midland, Texas. I didn't know that it had to be God's movement to put him there. He is, he is the founder and organizer of a ministry called China Aid, and they support human rights in China for Chinese Christians. And so he's done things with political dissidents and leaders, and uh, he's written a book called God's Double Agent, The True Story of a Chinese Christian's Fight for Freedom. He said that he used to pray for Christians in prison, but after being in prison, he changed how he prayed himself. And he asked the Lord to empower them to see their situation as a mission field. He said, your will be done, and if they are there for months or years, give them the courage and boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He then went on to tell the story of a, Christian, of a Chinese pastor who was in prison that he was in ministry with. And he says that 
This pastor, when he got out of prison, he came out of prison singing hallelujah and praise God. Not because he was out, but because of what had happened while he was in. There were only 180 other prisoners in this particular unit that he was in. A hundred of them trusted Christ with him in his time there. He said that he's... And then, um, good thing the communists released him or they would have had a real reform in their prison system for the very first time. He's interesting. Bob Few made a note that says he's currently back in prison again because he continued to be unrelenting in his desire to teach and to preach and to be outward about his Christianity. And Bob Few says he is truly a full-time ministry as a prison chaplain. You can't really chain the person who knows how to pray. When Paul prayed, he changed that dungeon in the prison into a prayer chamber, and his soul was really just like unbound at all. Whether it was shackles, whether it was a prison room, or whether it was house arrest, his prayer life was unchanged. There's nothing stopping him from prayer. He was, and, and, and so as we consider Paul's prayer in this particular series, I wanted to look today at his prayer life in prison, particularly. And I wanted to say, what do we learn about prayer and about praying for others who are in difficult situations? But not only that, what do we learn also about ourselves when we're in difficult positions and how we pray for ourselves and how we ask others to pray for us as well by looking at Paul's life, all right? So... Um, I want to pray today, just before we go any further in in God's Word. All right. So, Father, this morning, I just thank you for um, your servant, Paul, and for servants like Bob Few and so many others, even some in this church that I know who are prayer warriors, and for the way that you teach us about yourself and about our relationship with you and about how we should be interacting with you. And then in, in all that, you teach us about ourselves, And how we need to grow. And how we need to be more like you in the gap. And I am thankful to you that when we find that gap, you are not a chastising, shameful father. But you are a good father who encourages us to continue to grow to close that gap. So today, Father, may we see us in light of you. May we see us in light of your purposes May you take these words that I speak and energize them with your Holy Spirit in such a way that they have meaning and power for the lives of all of us here today. In your name I pray, amen. So Paul was aware of his purpose for suffering. He knew that if God planned to let him out, he would get out. He knew that if God planned to have him suffer, he was going to suffer. And so he also knew that the Lord planned to use any circumstance in his life to further the gospel. So you think about Paul and his story, and you think about where in Corinthians he recounts everything that's happened to him. And he would tell you, and he was saying, even at that time, that every single thing that had ever happened to him, God was using that to further the kingdom. Now, just think about that. Keep that in the back of your mind as you think about praying for a guy who's in these circumstances. Even think about that as you think about God praying, are you having people pray for you? And then even more so, it's really important that we look at our circumstances and we really think about God's purpose for them. Because, well, we'll get to that in a minute. That's the first point. We'll get there in a minute. 
Paul, Paul really believed that God uses hardships to spread the gospel. And so, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm going to refer to some passages in, in Acts, but you don't have to go to all of them because there's several here. So, for instance, like in, in Acts 20, Paul begins this, and he, he's talking to the Ephesians, and he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the gospel of God's grace, Acts 20, right there. Paul was concerned that his ministry in prison would include testifying the gospel and that it was a part of his task as an apostle to undergo these hardships. And so these hardships then, rather than hindering God's mission and God's purpose for him, they were the avenue for God's mission and God's purpose. Now think about that. Think about that. I... um, uh, I've, I've confessed this before, and so I'm not saying anything new, but I never like it. My greatest hindrance toward my growth in Christ is comfort. I want comfort. I want ease. I don't want obstacles. I don't want frustration. I don't want, I mean, that's just the way I am. And yet, am I failing in that area? What I find is that I see those things as problems not as opportunities of God working maybe in a character defect in my life or God working um, in a way to draw me toward a greater purpose or mission in my day, my week, my life, whatever it may be. And so when, you know, when you... Get the news that your child has a disability. That is the mission. That is the purpose. That is what God is doing. It's not in the way. It's not an obstacle. It is the opportunity. When Betty and I first began to have therapists and we realized what it was to deal with autism. We were given 40, that first time, 40 hours of therapy. 40 hours of therapy for Owen. They all came to our home, nearly all of it. Do you realize that meant there were people in our home full-time who were watching us live, listening to us talk, watching us pray, watching our life? You see... The disability wasn't the problem. It was the avenue of ministry. Now, whether we did it well all the time, I don't know. But that's what we realized after we first got over the shock of like our house was going to have people in it all the time. It, the, 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 it was not the problem. It was the opportunity. It was the avenue of ministry. And that's exactly what Paul had here. And it still takes me sometimes like you have to get... You have to embrace that completely, whatever your circumstance is. And there are times when you're like, you, use, you lose that embrace and you don't like it. And then the Father woos you back and says, this is what we're doing. And this is good for you. And this is good for what I am doing in your life. And it's God's purpose. And when you realize these things, it begins to change the way you pray. It begins to change the way you look at your circumstances. I would love to say that it changed my, my, my perspective all the time. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. 
And so, as you continue to go through here, we see that like in Acts 23, Paul, Luke explains that Paul testified the gospel in Christ's resurrection before the Sanhedrin. In, Luke 20, in Acts 24, we learn that Paul proclaimed the gospel to the Caesarean court, both publicly, you know, in a public hearing, as well privately before the governor Felix. Um, in, in Acts 25, we see that Luke records that Paul proclaimed the gospel before a new governor, Festus, and before the Jewish king Agrippa and his wife Bernice. In Acts 28, Paul explains that Luke regularly preached the gospel of the kingdom to, to all those who he came to see in Rome. And in Acts 23, Christ's word to Paul summarizes the purpose of all of that. This imprisonment, this getting shipped around all the known world around the Mediterranean, in Acts 23, it says, God said, Christ says to Paul, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify about me in Rome. So here's the thought. How does the way we pray for others in hardship reveal the way we view hardship? How does the way that we pray for others in hardship reveal the way we view hardship? Or is it that we, let me ask you another question for that point. Do we ever, when we are in hardship, do we pray the same way for ourselves that we do for others? So, you know, if I am addicted to comfort, then what I would probably do is pray, dear God, please help them out of this. Dear God, please rescue them. Dear God, please make this okay. And yet, we will look, and we've, we've, you know, and you're not, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but when we see Paul pray, and we talked about this two weeks ago, what was the thing he prayed for the most? He prayed for power for believers to live in every circumstance they were in. And that meant hardship. That meant difficulty. So the other thing is this. And so if I'm praying, if, if I'm praying for Scott like I did, and like going, dear God, please use this, and however this works out, for your glory. Am I going to pray the same thing for myself? When I get my diagnosis? Or am I going to pray something different for myself? And what I'm saying is that as we see the standard of Scripture and we think it's really easy to apply it to someone else's life, do we apply it to our own lives? Do we think that it would be, you know what, I am fully convinced that God can use the gospel in Scott's life to preach the gospel to the entire department of, of uh, DEP of New Jersey, you know, one night here. 120 people show up to hear the gospel and the testimony. I'm really easy to pray that for him when I pray that for myself. Would I apply the same standard to myself that, now I don't know if God could use my illness the way he used Scott's illness. So think about that. Do you see purpose in what you're going through? Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4.
Look at the way Paul prayed here. Look at how he's praying. Remember, Philippians was written from prison. All right? I'll start in verse 1. We'll read through the passage a little bit. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Sintet to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, so guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We've seen, uh, we've seen Paul enduring prison ministry. And that he saw this as gaining opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And his letters from prison reinforced this idea. That we see that it's not only that in his regular identification of himself as Christ's ambassador in chains, but he also is in prayer that he, that he solicits the churches that he interacts with. For instance, just like Philippians here in which he wrote, and he encourages them to also continue to stand in whatever circumstance they're in, seeing themselves as ambassadors for Christ and seeing that God can interact in their life in ways that they've never imagined. And that's why he says this. This talks about peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. All comprehension. Uh, Flip backwards one one book to Ephesians 6. And there again, 6.19. Let's just start in 18. And he says, And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I told you a few weeks ago that it was very encouraging to me to hear Paul ask for boldness because you just, you just think of him as being bold already. And yet here he is, Paul, saying, please pray for me. Please pray for me that I may be bold. But then this goes back to the point we've already touched on. He saw his circumstances not as a hindrance. He saw his circumstances not as something to get around, to get out of. He saw his circumstances as the very avenue of ministry. And that's why he even wrote that phrase, to be an ambassador in chains. But even Paul... Even Paul is saying, but pray for me while I'm in this position, that I might be bold, that I might say the right thing. And in another passage, he says that I might say it clearly. When we think about praying for others who are in hardship, when we think about asking them to pray for us who are in hardship or in a difficult position, are we, are we praying that they would, like we've already said, that they would see it as ministry? but then that we would pray that God would give them the very words to say in that moment, the very words to say in that difficulty, and that they would be bold about it.
Paul knew that even in prison, his primary ministry, his primary responsibility was to proclaim the gospel. And so he asked the Ephesians to pray for him so that he would have the strength to fulfill his responsibility. He did the same thing in Colossians um, in, in chapter 4. You don't have to go there, but he, just, he does the same thing there. And he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Again, Colossians was another letter they wrote while he was in prison. And pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul wanted prayer so that he would have the opportunity to preach the gospel and so that he could take full advantage of the opportunities before him. So that's another thing to think about when we think about hardships and prayer and how we pray about it. Now, listen to Paul's testimony in Ephesians 1. You're in Ephesians, so flip back to Ephesians 1. And verse 16 through 18 here. And listen to his testimony. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul regularly and consistently prayed for the Ephesian church. He believed that prayer was the the most powerful thing that he could do. And he hoped that God would honor his prayers and by blessing the the Ephesians. And Paul's efforts in prayer constituted a really vibrant, valuable ministry. You know, I've written cards to some of you, or maybe I've sent you an email, and I've caught myself saying this, well, at least I can pray for you. What is that saying? It Really, what it's saying is this. It's saying that, really, if I could do something really helpful, I would do it. But since I can't do anything for you, I'm going to ask God to intervene. Is that like crazy or what? That I think that I could step into your situation and do something to make it better. And so, so, but since I can't do that, I'll ask God to step in and maybe he can do something for you. Do you see how we take prayer and we put it in a place that is like secondary? Do you see how we take God And we take him and we put him in a place of secondary as compared to all that I can do for you. Well, you should be scared to death at that thought. But we should be inspired at the thought that says, I am excited to pray for you because I know that God can do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. And there are times when I'll stop with you and I'll say, let's pray about that. And we'll pray. But we don't, I don't do that enough. And so for us to go to the Lord and say, I, I know I can't do very much to help you, but I'm going to step on, come alongside of you and I'm going to say, I want to pray for you right now about what God's doing in your life. I want to pray for you for that situation, for that hard news, for that challenge you have coming up before you. That is the most important, vibrant, meaningful thing that any one of us could do for someone else. And so you think about it, whether you are in a, in, in a hospital room or a prison cell or homebound or not even around somebody, but you have this avenue of ministry into the life of another person that you do not have in any other way. Because what you're doing is you're petitioning the creator of the universe. You're petitioning the sovereign God, the one who is able to meet needs, to give peace, 
And that's an interesting thing to say is when you go back to the Philippians things, he does not say he delivers us. He says he gives us peace in whatever the situation is. And so that's what we have to offer. That's what we have to bring to the table as we stand with others. And we see that in Paul's example of praying for people as he's in prison. So another thing I want to ask you to think about. Flip back over into Philippians 1. Chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 4. 4 and 5. Let's stay there. Um, I'll start in 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you. And in view of your participation in the gospel, from the first day until now. There, but there is another example of how suffering was not something that was hindering to Paul in his life. Matter of fact, I want you to flip over into Acts 16. Go backwards a few books and go into Acts 16. Let's see where we should start here. Uh, Verse 25. So, Paul and Silas have been arrested in Jerusalem, and they're being held. No, they're not in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, they're in Philippi, perhaps. I'm not sure I have to look that. So, they're being held in prison. They're in stocks. They're, in, they're not able to move. As a matter of fact, verse 24 says they're in the inner prison, the most, the most secure part, and they're fastened their feet in stocks. And it says this in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Just stop right there. And the prisoners were listening to them. At the point, perhaps, of their greatest hardship, at the point of, like, having no options, of the absolute uncertainty about what the next morning will bring, it says here that they were singing hymns and praise to God. And then the last part of that sentence is really the crazy part. And... The prisoners were listening to them. That's really powerful. Because when you're in prison in a Roman or in 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 a Roman prison, you should not be thanking God that you're there, typically, unless you believe that God has a bigger purpose than you just being in prison. So pause. Think about that situation when the world says, we don't thank God for that. The world says, that is terrible. I am so sorry to hear that for you. Loss of a loved one. Diagnosis, loss of a job, 
family member difficulty. Whatever the case may be, think about it. The world expects people to respond a certain way. But the prisoners are listening. In other words, everyone around you are listening. I learned early on that when you go to visit someone in the hospital room, that the ministry in that hospital room might not be about the person in the bed. It might not be about the people around the bed. It might be about that nurse. It might be about that aide that just comes in to empty the bag. It might be about them. It might be about the prisoners. All those who are on the outside looking in and watching and saying, what they're doing in there is not normal. I wonder why. What you're, how you're responding to your situation is not normal. Why would you say that? That's one way we can be praying for people who are in hardship. That's one way we can be asking people to pray for us in hardship. That we will respond in such a way that we, are, we see God's purpose. We see God's... Let me back up and say, we don't even have to know that we see God's purpose or plan. We have to believe that he has purpose and plan in that situation. And in that, and in that, is why people can say, this is not all bad. There is a greater plan, there is a greater purpose, there is a greater God that is in charge of all this and is working out things here that no man can understand. And because of that, I can pause, I can praise, I can have joy, I can have peace in this at this moment. I can have joy, I can have peace at this in this moment. I've experienced that for the very first time in 1981. My mother died on a Wednesday at the age of 21 from cancer. And so the first day or so, I went through just doing things that had to be done. But there came a place on Saturday, on Friday morning, when like I woke up and like I experienced that peace that I could not explain that I could not say came from anything I was doing. It wasn't a good night's rest. I woke up that day saying, this is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I don't explain it. I can't explain it. And I can't say how it comes or when it comes. But we know God makes a promise to us that that's what he does to his people when they seek him and they, and they look for that. And even though situations might not get resolved immediately or even in a time frame that we would like, but God is still, we can still count him as being faithful in that process that we know he's working at a plan that is perfect and is going to be um, best for me and best for my loved ones, even though I don't see what it is. And so when, when someone here a moment ago said faith, maybe Kevin or someone said faith a moment ago, that's exactly what we're talking about. Praying for the faith to believe that there is a God who is at work in this situation that I cannot fathom, that I cannot pre-plan, that I cannot categorize him, that there's not a program written that tells me what God's going to do next. 
He works outside of all programs. He works outside of everything we can imagine to be doing something that's beyond what we can imagine. And that's what makes us able to pray for others who are in hardship, who are on unending illness. That's what we can pray for them about, that they would have the strength to find that, they'd have the faith to see that, that they'd have the boldness to proclaim that. And then we can be saying the same thing for us, saying that my faith is weak at this moment, and I don't believe that God is at work in my life right now. And the pain and the sorrow or the difficulty I'm going through right now is not something that I can embrace. And so therefore, we are like like Jacob, and we wrestle with God until he blesses us with that faith, with that peace that goes beyond understanding. And there's nothing wrong with putting on your prayer card or talking to someone in your small group or your accountability partner or something like that and says, I'm not there. This is my prayer, that I have that faith. And that's what Paul says. That's what he talks about. He says that we may experience the fullness of his power in our lives. So in Paul's prayers, there's three things I hope that we take to heart about hard times? Do we believe that God is able to use difficulty and suffering for his purpose? Are we praying for that? Are we asking that we believe that ourselves? And when we're suffering, do we get self-consumed and we forget to pray for others and the spiritual well-being of others? And when we are suffering, are we aware of others who might be watching, listening, and learning, even if we don't notice it, even if we don't know them, that that could be happening, that God is working it out? That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you that that's what we grow into. And we learn that from Paul's prayers. Let's pray, all right?